kick off your boots and put down your hunting knife. It's time for the Outdoor Man Podcast with the man himself, Outdoor Man Dan. Join us for fun stories, useful how-tos, and insights into what being an outdoorsman means today and what it may mean in the future. From ethical hunting and conservation to new stories to tell around the fire. Let's get into today's show with your host, Outdoor Man Dan. Did you start, what came first, a podcast or or selling the merch, as it were? Podcast. A few years ago now, I can't remember exactly when I started it. Um, so I started the podcast and say, as we uh, start chatting, you realize if we get onto a topic that, you know, I'm interested in and passionate about, you can't stop me. So um, it was essentially, I was like, right, let's do something for myself that I can educate myself and better myself by finding out information from different people. And in my time, you know, during the Marines, when I left working in consultancy and then into anti-poaching, anti-piracy type consultancy and hostile environment training, things like that, like, I met so many cool people and then onto the fire service that all the way throughout that journey, I was like, these people have all got a story to tell. And not only do I want to know more, I think it'll be interesting for people to hear. And so I started that up and it was uh, originally called the Working Title Podcast. As the name suggests, didn't have a proper title. And I was like, don't know what to call it. Let's call it that. And it was sort of on and off for a little while. Did a few episodes, didn't do episodes, did episodes, you know, just in and around whatever I was doing. And then about a year or so ago, I brought it under the GTC umbrella um because i was like well there's no point having two separate things and they sort of mutually support any each other anyway so yeah and then i i brought the the podcast into it yeah i mean i used to listen to it and i was running um one of the things when i used to train properly i mean i haven't trained properly for a fucking long time like everything life gets in the way but that was one of your podcasts one of the first ones i started listening to actually i think the first one i listened to was a guy who you probably served with and he'd got and he'd, be, he'd become a firefighter in you in america yeah carl martin yeah yeah i did serve him good bloke yeah yeah i really enjoyed that episode that was one of the, one of the sort of, one of my favorite favorite episodes i listened to it was one of the good ones that's good to know at least two people listened <laughs> exactly i always say that well at least my mum loves me you know yeah exactly so early life so you obviously marines we talked back with you so you joined the why the marines for a start why not the army it's the same thing, but worse. <laughs> I don't know, mate. Like, I, I grew up being the usual sort of terror ish kid. Like, I was never too bad. Um, just had a lot of energy. Liked to do fears more than I liked to listen and study. When I was at school, it was more important to make people laugh and, and be good at the sports teams than it was listening to the teachers. And, you know, I liked being cheeky and things like that. So academia was never where I was going to go. I sort of had passions. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a pilot when I was very, very young. And then sort of pretty soon on, I realized, one, I wasn't smart enough. And two, I wore glasses when I was younger. And it was sort of like, if you're eyesight and a great, you ain't doing it. And then, yeah, it just sort of morphed. I knew I wanted to go into the services. So when I got to sort of 14, 15, I want to say, I was sort of thinking, what do I join? How do I join? What what am I going to do? Maybe a bit earlier, I can't really remember. And it was sort of just looking around and seeing what was out there and it one of my earliest memories was my second cousin uh, was also an ex-bootneck and I went to his uh, wedding and he had a bootneck wedding and he he went call commission so he joined as a, a Marine and then a few years later went back to Limston to redo it to become an officer 
And uh, I always remember, you know, when I was like three or four, I think it was, being at his wedding and running in and out of the the guard of honor's legs and stuff like that. And they're standing there in their blues with their swords up as him and his wife come through the arches. So that was sort of sat in my mind. And essentially, I was like, I didn't have any other loyalties, but I knew I wanted to join the forces with my attitude, who I am. I never wanted an easy route. So uh, that the army was out of the question. Wasn't smart enough for the wrath. Ironically, I get horrendously seasick, so I was like, well, I won't join the Navy. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I ended up as an LC, uh, so landing craft coxswain in the Marines, and was horrendously seasick. Yeah, it sort of narrowed it down, and again, like pretty much every bootneck or para will admit, it came down to bootnecks or paras, and having that memory about my second cousin, um, and always looking up to him, and then I knew he was in security at the time, doing a security consultancy firm. It was sort of like, well, at least I can sort of get more in common with him and maybe do some work with him down the line. So, yeah, I chose the Marines and slipped through the net, as they say. It's funny. So I'm only a reservist. Um, I'm not really that anymore. I'm on the imposted list at the moment. Whether I'm going to give it up or not, I don't know. Probably am. But it's funny how, especially doing the podcast, especially like the spearfishing and all that side of thing, I've met more Marines probably now than I have soldiers. Really bizarre sort of, sort of Turner phrase, but it's, being where I am in the UK, it doesn't, I, I could never join the Marines because I'm not. It's dirty water here, to be honest. It's just fucking dirty water. <laughs> and uh, yeah, now I'm all right. So there was so three one angling was the way forward for me. Yeah, it's a weird one, mate. Like we always, um, all the Marines always laugh and joke like that they're they're like a hepatitis or AIDS or something. Like they they literally just get into everything and you can't get rid of them. You can name an industry and there'll be a serving. Uh, well, uh, you know, a former bootneck that's doing it. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. There'll be a bootneck that's doing it. And it's like, that's not, it's one of those, you know, obviously I'm always going to mug the powers off, but because it's my God given right. But it's sort of like, you don't see as many powers, you know, doing mad stuff once they leave. Obviously, if you're more in those circles, it's going to be more obvious to you. But like you said, you know, I've got loads of mates that are reservists or ex-pongos or, you know, uh, matlows and stuff. And, like, they all say a similar thing, is bootnecks just get into every crevice of every world and you can't get rid of them. It's a great thing for the bootneck network. I think that comes from the fact that you guys have got a little bit more about you because who would jump out of a perfectly serviceable aeroplane? Exactly, mate. It's just not smart. Aeroplanes got wheels, they land. <laughs> Well, and I've got a mate who's I've got a good mate who's ex para and I give him some serious stick for it. But I mean, he's actually a clever guy, which breaks me a little bit as well. So from the Marines, you sort of slithered your way to the fire service. That's no easy feat. It's a strange one, the fire service. So I um I left the Marines and we go into why and how down the line, but yeah, so I left the Marines and I was sort of pottering around a bit at the time and I was doing uh, personal training boot camp type stuff as most bootnecks do and then when i weren't doing that i was away doing um a few different things mainly in the instructor and sort of consultancy role and um i was sort of sick of traveling and i was like i want to sort of spend a bit more time at home with the missus me and my missus have been together for like 15 years so it was sort of i wanted to just spend more time there and plan a bit more of a future back home so i was sort of like what should i join what can i do and the fire service was sort of, in my mind, a bit of a middle ground. 
a bit more civvy than the military and a bit more military than a civvy job. So I sort of looked around who was opening up and I'm in Essex. So essentially my two local brigades are Essex and London. You're, not, you're really not that far away from me then. Where about you? Suffolk. Suffolk, yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense if you're, uh, you say you're Anglins, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, so Vikings, like there are, there, Essex is local infantry regiment as well. So I've got a few mates that are Vikings, so it makes sense, isn't it? But yeah, sorry, anyway, um, I literally just applied. I was like, oh, I'll give it a crack. I'm lucky I had a mate of mine who's an old man, is fire service, still is actually. I've worked with him on a couple of jobs and he's been in it, well, he's about four years away from retirement, so a long, long time. But what I found weird was I just sort of gave it a crack seeing what was going on. It wasn't until about three or four sort of stages in that I was chatting to people and they were saying how hard it was, how many times they've applied in the past. You know, oh, this is my X amount of attempt. Last time I did this, last time I... And I was just sort of like a bit taken aback by it. I didn't realise it was as competitive as, as it seemed to be. But yeah, I mean... I'm trying not to sound sort of too arrogant and too cocky, but I, at no stage did I find it a challenge, not physical or mental. I don't know whether that's because of my background or I just got lucky or arguably I was the character they were looking for, so it was a relatively easy route for me. I, I don't know. But it was a bit strange for me because people were saying, oh, this is a challenge, this is hard, it's an achievement, and I didn't really feel like it was. Yeah, so it was sort of humbling in that respect because – People were on their fourth or fifth attempt and they've, they've applied to every service in the country. And I've just sort of given it a whack and got lucky. So it is competitive. It is tough to get into. But yeah, fits well. My um, stepdad was a firefighter for Kings Lynn. He took like sort of three or four attempts to get in before he got in. It, you know, and it's like, I, I know exactly where people are coming from, where like sort of third, fourth, fifth attempt. Actually, my mum worked for them as well. She was admin side and she was saying, and I suppose it had been easy for you because of, of your background, but the application process, so if you'd f- not filled it out all in capitals, you know, the application was gone. If it wasn't all in black ink, you know, it had gone. And it's them sort of stringent things that, and I, I suppose with, with you doing what you've done, order and regime, like you said, you just crack on and do it, don't you? Do what you're told and there you are at the end of it. Yeah, I think it's a mixture. There's definitely those selective criteria. You know, I think when I joined, there was 24 jobs. So they were doing uh, two intakes is what they had planned, 12 apiece. And there's 24 jobs. And uh, there was, I think, 1,200 was the the cutoff. They were going to sort of once it hit 1,200 applicants, they were going to close the application window for that that period. And I think it, it, it was literally up for a matter of not even a full hour. And it already surpassed that, you know, and everyone else was either put into a pool or, or that was it sort of thing. So I know it was competitive and it, it makes sense, but I think maybe that attention to detail and, and also just that if you've done any time in the military or the reserves like yourself, you understand how to play the game. You understand that you've got to put a tick in that box. Doesn't really mean a lot. Does it really achieve what you need to achieve? Maybe, maybe not. But at the end of the day, it's a tick in the box, play the game. You turn up to the the assessment days or the aptitude days, whatever they're called, and you play the game. You graft, you do what's asked of you as quick as you can to the best of your ability straight away. And if you do that, you always look good. And I think you realise as well that once you've done a little bit of time in service, whichever format, however way, you realise that playing the game is possible because it always ends. 
you know, you know, you're going home at three, four o'clock. So it's like, do I care? Like, yeah, I'll call you staff. I'll call you sir. I'll call you mom. Like whatever you want me to call you. I don't really mind. Like, do I respect you as a person? Maybe not. Do I respect your rank? Yeah. I haven't got a problem with that. Whereas I think a lot of people, if they come from a purely civilian background, might not have that appreciation and they might be more with the mindset of like, well, I don't know how to do that. So I'm not going to do it. Teach me and I'll do it. And it's like, it's not really the attitude. It's okay. I'll give it a go. I haven't done it right. Can you show me how to do it better? You know, and it's those subtle differences that maybe gave me a leg up or as I say, maybe I've just got lucky. I find it so, now, apart from the outdoor man thing, I don't do the gamekeeping side anymore because I'm just, I want a life. But I work, I work in the prison service now and I turn up, you know, I do what I've got to do and I come home again and it's prison service and die straight. And you find, you can see who's come in, you can see who's come in from like university into the job and then you can see the ex-military people that have come in and there's a vast difference in their abilities to do a job. One, talking to people and dealing with people and two, the actual quality of the work, if that makes sense. It's not just a room check done. It's a room check done properly because that's the way it's supposed to be done. And that, that rubs off, definite. Even with me, even with me, and I'm, not said just a reservist, but yet them little things sort of. Yeah, it's, it's those personal standards, isn't it? I think it's difficult. So, I mean, you keep repeating, you know, just a reservist, but it's important to remember, mate, that, you know, there's roles for roles reasons. You know, so every every position has a purpose and you can't weigh your purpose and your position up against someone else. Because if you constantly do that, and uh, this is the advice I got, because whenever early on leaving the Marines, I would meet loads of other ex-forces guys, SF guys and things like that out on jobs and, and working away. And they'd be like, oh, you know, what were you in? And I was like, oh, I've only done, you know, I've just done five years uh, in the Marines. Or some would say, how long were you in the Marines? I'd say just five years. and very similar to yourself, you know, you don't downplay that because you don't want to give it the Barry McGuigan and, you know, give it the big I am, this is who I am, this is what I've done. And it, it's testament to your character and, and that's, it's sort of what you should do because there's always a bigger dick swinging. Apologies, I don't know if I can swear, so sorry about that. No, I think it makes fun. It's fine. Sweet. And good advice that I got early on by a, um, a Navy SEAL was like, it doesn't matter what you've done, you've done something. And it's like, Stop downplaying it. Don't over-egg it. Don't pretend you're something that you're not. But just be proud of what you've done. You know, there's no there's no shame in being a reservist. There's no shame in being a bootneck. There's no shame in being ROC. You know, every job, every role had a purpose and you joined either for that purpose or to do a similar purpose. And everything carries its own pride, you know, and it does. I understand why people do it and I'm a victim of it as well and I do it as well and it's a testament to why those sort of people are who they are. But it's um it's just important to remember that, you know, whether you're a reservist for six months, six years, you signed on that paper on that line to potentially do a job that you wanted to do and you wanted to achieve. And it's it's important to remember that, mate. And you know, even a chef in the Navy, they've got a role they signed up and it's still service. You know, they're still using their skills. I joined up because I wanted to do, um, I wanted to go for 2 1. That was my plan. I thought, right, this is what I'm going to do. I joined up, I'll go for 2 1. And then I sort of got a bit of a gameplay. And then um, my daughter was born, and that was that was it. Then that's complete sidestep to life. But I've done a bit. I've done a bit. I didn't do what I wanted to do. I wanted to do a tour. And I could only choose to join when there wasn't anything going on. But I, I did get to help battle the whole big fight on COVID. And I went off testing. So I did do something. 
I tell you what I enjoyed, and I should go back and do it, and that was the recruiting. I worked with, our, with the recruiting team and helped them when I was getting to the reserves and do that sort of thing, and that was enjoyable, especially seeing them sort of come through and thrive. So, but it's, it's one of the things for me, and I think it's sort of been and gone and on other things. There's a role for everyone, and there's, there's props and bits and everything in there. You know, and it, I think the reservancy is really tough. There's, it asks for a lot and gives you very little. I've got a mate of mine who's, um, oil engineer reservist and he's on a bomb. He's done his search course. He's on a bomb something course. I don't know. I, I barely listen to him, to be honest. Um, next, next week or so. And I did miss half that. I've heard a barely listen part to him. Like, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it, it's something like that. And like, he, he really enjoys it, but you know, he's got two young kids. He was on AT a couple of weeks ago and because he'd signed up to go on that AT, his family were going away to Spain, so his missus and his two kids. And it was like, oh, I've already signed up to do this, so I can't. And yeah, right, it's AT, so it's still a prof. But you're like, it's just, you have those points and he works hard in London, long hours, um, whether he's there or he's working from home, but it's long hours, young family. And then almost like, loads of weekends he's going away loads of weeks here and there he's going away so it's not an easy commitment reserves mate and I think people do downplay it quite a lot no it's, it's, it is a graph it can be a graph especially if you do a physical job and you go away for the weekend as well and you, you get three hours sleep on a Saturday night and it's you know section attack after section attack and then oh yeah it looks ca- casualty back you know you think fuck you now here we go again yeah, especially if you're doing that land management, gamekeeping stuff, you know, you're out and about all day grafting, like, and then you're like, oh, yeah, on a Tuesday night, wherever it is, you've got to go to pray night, and they're like, okay, we're going to uh, crack fizz now and do a six-mile run. You're like, are you joking? <laughs> I've just been up for 14 hours wandering the woods, like, what are you on about doing a six-mile run now? So, yeah, I get it, mate. It's, it's tough. Yeah, that was always my favourite one, was um, the fitness test. You know, like, you do fitness tests, and you're not, you're not on your real game. Well, fucking hell, what are you doing? I'm like... I've literally been up from, since, like, the crack of dawn, like, splitting logs or something, and I, I've got a burger on my back trying to do eight miles in my life. And, yeah, no wonder I'm not exactly, you know, full tilt. But there we go. Such is life. Yeah, mate. It's mad, isn't it? Did you enjoy the fire service? Yes. Yes, I did, is the short answer. And, yes, I do. I'm actually leaving. I've got career break starting uh, end of October. I'm going to go um, over to Australia and New Zealand with the missus. So we've just recently... Reorganise the whole of GTC so it works fully automated for a distributor and things like that. So I, like we can keep pushing, keep growing the brands, keep everything on track and arguably be better. It will be better and it'll be more efficient than it has been for the past month. But yeah, so I am sort of leaving and having a bit of a gap from it, but I do enjoy it. Yes, it's, it is very good, especially if you get a good bunch of lads and lasses like on your watch. It's on your ship. It makes it a lot better. It's one of those, you know, it's very similar to the military. You spend a lot of time not doing a great deal, ticking boxes, training, you know, doing equipment checks, cleaning equipment, cleaning the station. And then every now and again, you'll get a, a job that you go out to and it's it's relatively exciting. It's one of those, mate, like, what else would I do? I don't know. So not full time anyway. So, yeah, I enjoy it and it is good. I don't think I enjoy it as much as some of the other firefighters enjoy it. Let's put it that way. There's some very, very keen people out there, both to their testament and their their negative as well, depending on whether they're flapping or they're just really enjoying it. But no, it's good, mate. It's good. So where did the shock come into all this then? So obviously you started off with the podcast and 
sort of just mincing around and, and chatting to a few guys. And then obviously I got, like myself, an unhealthy hobby and has gone to more. I mean, how, how was that change? It was interesting, actually. So I, um, obviously, our, on our logo, it says established in 2020. And it was officially started in 2020, but we didn't really actually start putting any sort of meat behind the bones and start pushing it till about January, February 21. Essentially, what it was, was out of necessity. So it was the midst of lockdown. I was about to go under the knife, get an operation on my ankles, um, join the Marines, they said, see the world, they said, be great, they said. So uh, I messed myself up and uh, I had to sort of get an operation. So I was under, about to do that. And the recovery time meant that I was going to be in a bed laid up for quite a few weeks. And then after that, I'd be on crutches. And then after that, you know, it was a long road. Knowing myself, I knew that I needed to stay active. I needed to keep some part of me active. All of my hobbies were physical, whether it was out shooting, going out into the hills, camping and wild camping, uh, hiking, jujitsu, Muay Thai. Everything was active. So I was like, okay, I need something to occupy myself. I had the podcast, but that was getting harder and harder to maintain and keep doing. Again, because of work commitments and finding the right, the right caliber and the right people that fit the brand and that you want to talk to and that was interesting. And I've been doing it for about a year or so as well. So like the passion had sort of not died, but it dwindled a little bit. I still love doing the podcast and I still try and put as much time into it. But as you know, and as you alluded to, it takes up a lot of time. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. Um, and yes, it's rewarding. Yes, it's fun to do, but it's still graft. So my passion for that sort of died down. And I was essentially like, right, I need to find something that I can do that challenges me in a way that's not physical. I thought about it for a while, couldn't really figure anything out. And then um, I just sort of started playing with some designs and some logos and some ideas. And I got myself like a little cheap tablet. And sort of like coming up with logos and ideas and things like that. And I've always, as you can see on my like Yeti, obviously the, the listeners won't, but my Yeti's covered in stickers, not just mine. You know, so I always have water bottles, laptops, everything covered in stickers. A lot, mostly X-Mill brands, but a mixture. So I was like, oh, okay. That's become a healthy hobby itself. It is, isn't it? It's like an obsession just collecting stickers. So... I've always liked stickers and every one of my water bottles, laptop, everything's covered like yours is there. So I was like, oh, okay, let's try and make a few stickers. Made a few stickers. Mrs. pressured me into starting an Etsy. I was like, nah, who's going to buy them? You know, lack of confidence in myself, my own ideas. Who's going to buy them? Who cares? Blah, 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 blah. So I sort of birthed the idea, then put a name to it, then built the branding around the name so it all links in. Every part of our logos have has a reason, has, you know, it's like the Globe and Laurel for the Marines. Every part of that logo has a story and a reason behind it. So I built depth for the brand straight away. And then everything just grew from there. And it's just sort of, it's just going mental, you know, I, that's how I started it. And I didn't really have much more plans for it, to be honest. I didn't really plan that it was going to be anything or going to do anything. But there, as it started taking off, people started reacting to the brand, buying some of the stickers. Then I was like, well, this is going all right. You know, let's challenge myself again. What things can I bring out that not a lot of people do? And I've started with like koozies, like can coolers. Yeah, yeah. So like, and 
not really in the UK space where veteran-owned companies doing those. And I was like, why not? I use them all the time. I've got a massive collection. All of my mates that I've met on the circuit and going around and, and working all have them. And I was like, oh, okay, let's try and make them. So I made them. And I was like, what else do veterans like? What else do I like um, or service people like that a veteran-owned company isn't really doing? And I was like, oh, okay, flannel shirts. Let's get produce a flannel shirt. That part of me regrets now because that took a lot of time a lot of effort and a lot of money but to get it to where it is now today and we're releasing two more colors in in autumn is incredible so don't regret it most people on your podcast have got their t-shirt so i've got some form of of wear i'm not allowed any more baseball caps apparently i like the silkies that's to say i want i want some silkies but but as soon as they came in they went didn't they they were sort of gone before you thought. Mate, ridiculous. We've thought, mate. So I looked at flannel shirts. So like, yeah, maybe I need to get one of them in my life. Yeah, let me know, mate. I'll hook you up. I'll hook you up. We'll, we'll sort something out. Cheers, dude. Yeah, mate. And that's, as I say, there was no aims. There was no ambitions for it. It was born out of keeping myself busy and trying to give myself personal challenges. And then it's just grown. And and it's just a response to the community, really. You know, what I'm getting from people, what the responses and the, the feedback I'm getting from people is, you know, Things like, you know, what's this, what's that? And then um, I sort of create things based on that. But everything I release is just stuff that I would want, just stuff that I'm like, well, I want those. You know, silkies and ranger panties, whatever you want to call them, they're huge in America. And they're huge in the veteran-owned space, and they're, they're huge. And I've got a couple of pairs from those. And I was like, oh, okay, can you buy them in the UK? And it was like, I did some research, and I couldn't find anyone at that time selling uk branded silkies all i could see was people buying in the ones from like uh zulu foxtrot and stuff like that yeah. and selling those and i actually had a pair and they're brilliant so not knocking them and then i was like well actually like why not you know people love them people wear them let's release them so i did that and then the mark ones were just the classic like soft ones that we heat transfer our logo on and then after they were selling quite well i was like well you know, how about we make our own? And then again, part of me regrets it again. Loads of money, <laughs> loads of time, loads of effort. And I dropped him, you know, and we, we did uh, three different camos. We did the Tiger Stripe, the Multicam and the Black Multicam. Although obviously for licensing purposes, it's actually like MC, Black and MC. But we know. And as we say, mate, it was outstanding. You know, the support was ridiculous. We... We backed ourselves and I say, again, my missus and some of the rest of the team pushed us and said, look, invest more, buy more than you thought you were going to. So we did. We didn't go with the minimum from abroad. We went for double their minimum, their minimum order from our manufacturer. And we got those three different colors. And we, so the way we work with all of our new releases is our mailing list gets priority. So if you're on the mailing list, you get at least a couple of days early warning, usually closer to a couple of weeks. And then the paydays is when we do our big drops. So it's playing into our millionaires weekend thing for from the services. You know, most people spend their money around payday. So that's when we drop our best products. So people have the flexibility of going, yes, I will buy that rather than it dropping mid-month and people saying, oh, can't really afford it. I'll, I'll have to wait and then it sells out. So that's the, that's the aim. And then, yeah, the, so we sort of dropped the silkies and I think something like 80% of the Tiger Stripe sold out in pre-release, which was just ridiculous. You know, the main list just lapped it up. So a week or so later when they landed on the um, like the big drop, 
it took a matter of hours before Black Multicam and Tiger Strike were sold out of all sizes. And then we had like a few of the niche sizes of Multicam, which took a few more days, I think about a week and a half, two weeks to sell completely. You had some fat sizes left and that's about it. That was it, mate. Yeah, we had like the XLs and that that was it. And it was just ridiculous. So, and then a couple of weeks later, they sold as well. So it's, um, we've backed ourselves again and we've gone even bigger this time. And we're literally just waiting on the courier to ring the doorbell at our distributors. And um, we'll have a load more, including a, a special surprise camo as well. So that's very exciting. And we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully they go as well. We've, as I say, we've, We've overstretched ourselves in the hope that we don't sell out straight away. It's, you know, it's great for hype and that sort of thing. And you see a lot of veteran-owned drop-based companies, they they sell out quite quickly. It builds hype. People like it. It's like, yeah, great. From a business point of view, it's terrible because you've then got people that want to invest in your product that you can't. And then also from a personal point of view with GTC and building that community, what's the point? in having all these people coming to join the community and not being able to get the items they want, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, you're missing out on profit from a business point of view, but you're also missing out on that community engagement, which is the main reason why I started this. Profit, if I ever get some, would be great. But, you know, it's about building that community and pushing that ethos and that brand and that um, mission statement. How have you found, because like in America, if it's a veteran-owned company, they go fucking mental for it. In the UK, we're a little bit more reserved. Is that a big issue for you or is it just working? I wouldn't say it's an issue. I think like we started and about a couple of weeks after we'd started, we had about a thousand followers or about a month, couple of months in. And a, another company started out in America called Sunset Goons and they started and now they've got, uh, what I'll do is I'll look it up to tell you how many they've actually got. Now, obviously, this is hard because it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing loads of sales, but it's a good guide to say how quick they've grown. So they've now got 37.6K followers. We're sitting at just shy of 5K. So, again, you don't know whether they're real engagement followers and whether that relates to their actual business or not. But just as a sort of experiment and a case study, that's the type of support that U.S. veteran-owned brands get. And that's the type of support that we've got. So there's definitely a discrepancy there, yes. Now, without trying to draw too much on that, it doesn't really matter to us. You know, at the end of the day, the number of Instagram followers is just a number on a page. What's more important to us is, is uh, from a business point of view, the amount of orders coming through. And then from a personal point of view and the real ethos of GTC, it's just about spreading that word and getting it out there. So the more people that are engaging, with us is more important than the amount of numbers that are on a digital screen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Obviously, from a business point of view, it's still a benefit. It gives you a niche. It gives you a platform. With, on purpose, a lot of the branding with GTC is quite obviously from military routes, quite obviously from fire service routes. But the way we've done it is that we've hoped that we don't completely isolate any group. You know, yes, all of the ethos and everything that we're built around comes from service, comes from hard work. It comes from the fire service, the Marines, those sort of attitudes. But all of our branding isn't focused towards just that. It's focused towards anyone that encompasses those 
characteristics, you know, hard work, integrity, sacrifice and service doesn't necessarily mean sacrifice to the queen or sacrifice to the public. It could be sacrifice to yourself. You know, you're giving something up to better yourself. It could be just sacrifice for your family. You know, you're putting yourself through a job that you don't necessarily love just because you want to support your family and get them to where you want them to be, you know. So we're trying to be quite careful and quite clever with our branding that we don't overly militarize it because it's not just for the military. It's not just for services. It is for everyone that believes in that same ethos. But that is who we are. That is who we are. That's what's created us, the, the community that we, we support and want to be a part of. And I think it's more of a help. Uh, maybe not as much as in the US, yes, but it gives you a platform to launch from and work from. But you can't market everything towards just military and services because in the UK, that's a pretty small market. And arguably, just because you've been in the services of the forces doesn't make you any better than the bloke that's worked down Tesco all his life. It's the choices that person's made and the way they live their life that makes them a better person. So, yeah. It's helped, I think, more than it has been a negative. We haven't received any sort of like negative comments because of it, but also we don't want to isolate ourselves. You know, we're not just for the military, we're for everyone. So what is next? So you're there, you've got the steel keys, you've got more of them coming in, you got so and you said a special a bit of a different cam coming in as well. Mate, it's ridiculous. So we've got um obviously the tiger stripe caps. They have just released on pre-release. So we've got the Night Tiger and we've got the Tiger Stripe, uh, the baseball caps, the trucker style with the Stay Wavy on the side. They've just released on pre-release and payday this month. I don't know when this podcast is going to come out. So payday of August. Whenever it comes out, payday August um, will be the the official drop of those caps. So they'll be out and um, they're the sort of the next upcoming product. We've got the restock with the special surprise camo of the Silkies there coming up. Um, as the winter creeps in and the colder weather starts, we've got baseball T-shirts, so long sleeve sort of baseball type, raglan tops there dropping. We've got the two new flannel shirts, one in green, one in gray so gray and black and green and black they drop all some time we've got three more hoodies so our normal baseline hoodie but we've just got them in three more colors we're going to go for maroon for the reds lads we've got a green for the bootnecks and we've got a navy for the navy lads and then obviously normal sort of anyone that doesn't fit into that category so maybe uh raf and the, the wider army Green always works for the wider army. Blue always works for RAF, and you can just sort of pick and choose. But also, we still got our charcoals and blacks. We've also just ordered a sample of beanies, so woolly hats. They'll be dropping in the, the sort of winter time, as long as we get them right. We've got rash guards and the fight wear, so that's in testing currently. Uh, Jiu-jitsu rash guards with matching fight shorts, MMA fight shorts. So again. They're in testing at the moment. They're holding up really well. There's a few minor changes we got to make for the second, third round of samples, but they're coming up. They'll be released sort of first quarter next year. That's awesome. Yeah, mate. Very excited about them. You give, trying to give Jocko a run for his money? Yeah, going to try. <laughs> He's got a bit of a bigger platform than us, but we'll try. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got a few other little bits in the works as well. Some, some sort of more secret projects and things like that. And, um, more sort of surprise products, but it's essentially about, 
you know, bringing stuff to market that we want, that GTC wants to push, that not every veteran-owned business, because that is who we are, that is what we are, are doing. Some are, some are not, but that's sort of the product side of it. Again, I don't know when this is coming out, but 5K giveaway. So we're doing a charity giveaway at 5K for Full Ocean, if you heard of them. They're a non-profit organization based out of America that pull plastic and rubbish out of the oceans. So they they do that. And we've we've purchased 10 sort of bracelets. Each one pulls a trash, uh, a pound of trash out of the ocean, and it's made from recycled plastic found from the ocean. And the plan at 5K is to just reward our, our supporters, our community, with those as a giveaway. So once we hit 5K, we'll pick nine people from that have placed orders for the past month or so, and we'll just send them out randomly to them, and then we'll do a giveaway one on the Instagram. And essentially, it's twofold. You know, it's every milestone we hit of followers or sales, we donate to charity. So the last one was 4K, and we donated to Rock to Recovery and Hero Pause. So we donated some cash to them. This one, as I say, we've we've already purchased the um, wristbands and the bracelets. So we've already donated that money effectively, and that then we're going to give that back to the the community. So not only do they get a free bracelet as a thank you, they also we also spread in the word and donating to for Ocean. So that's that's the next sort of five k followers line. Yeah, see, that's just in my Instagram then. And then we've got the Gibraltar Rock Run for Waterloo Uncovered. That's a um, a charity that helps veterans and stuff deal with things through like uh, archaeology and stuff. It's quite an interesting one, and they've got a rock run going up the the rock in Gibraltar. So it fits quite well with us. And they are doing that in October. We've got a couple of big rows that we're supporting in different facets. And yeah, so it's essentially much of the same. It's create new products, create good products, high quality products at a reasonable price that people are willing, like are happy to pay. We want people to, you know, open up these new caps and go, that's decent for that price. That looks awesome. What's on your head? I'm not allowed another cap, but it looks awesome. Thank you, mate. Yeah. Throw one away or something. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, but I'm the same. I'm obsessed with caps. Eh? Yeah, so check you out. So the podcast is wherever you find your podcast, isn't it? Spotify, YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's across all the streamer platforms. All the good old places. So it's just GTC podcast. Yep. Everywhere. everywhere. And support the Gibraltar Train Company. Right. You've been listening to the Outdoor Man Podcast. We're glad you're here. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Find us on Twitter at Podcast Outdoor, on Instagram, Outdoor underscore Man underscore Podcast, on Facebook, Outdoor Man Podcast, and you can even reach us by email, dan at outdoorman.uk. Let us know your outdoor questions and be sure to tag us when you're outside living your best life. Until next time, be the example.